A New Year's Vision. This is Katie Morikawa, and I wrote this post on New Year's Eve while I was waiting for the moment at midnight when the star Sirius lines up directly overhead. I mean, it's sort of not straight overhead. It's near to the line of the ecliptics, um, so it's a little towards the south. But it is at the midheaven point in the sky at midnight only on New Year's Eve, which is a cool thing, and which a friend of mine, Jade Wau Gregori, had pointed out, and he had described it as a time to um, receive a blessing, receive a boon from the star Sirius. And so I just thought, this is a great way to greet the new year. And um, so I was, you know, kind of amped and looking forward to that as the hours counted down to midnight and while I was writing this post. After I finished this post, I had the audacity to add what I'm thinking of as a working mission statement to my homepage. So this is what it says. This is a work in progress with the lofty goal of improving the maps, both large and small, which we use for healing, growth, and fulfillment, while weaving in the imaginal and psyche's rich potentials for accessing truth. I am a visionary who hasn't believed in herself for a very long time, but I'm ready to lean in and see what I can create. Another note before I get started um, is that if you've never read the Waking Up blog, there is a character named Aaron in this post who, you know, if you're confused about what the heck is going on, I suggest you go and read um, There will be a link in the show notes, and there's also a link in the post at katiemorikawa.com, New Year's Vision, to read more about Aaron. December 31st, 2021. This is the last day of the year, she said, looking up at Aaron. She took in their surroundings with a flash of pleasure. Around them spread a sitting room beside a fire with a round window looking out onto a beautiful woodland garden. She smiled at him in satisfaction. And this is a much better location for us to meet and work. At least it is now. She shrugged, acknowledging that the observation lounge on the campus of a startup company where they'd met for the past three years had been right while it lasted. She did wonder why they'd used that location for so long but it had felt right until all of a sudden it hadn't. Now the lounge struck her as terribly impersonal, public, and not nearly cozy enough. Had she been listening to the streams of the culture that flow through startup companies over the last three years? Was that whence came the torrent of entrepreneurial ideas that had yet to run dry? However the change had come, she was more than ready to snuggle down into this magical space that evoked Bilbo's study without actually being his. Aaron lifted his hand and cast a handful of fine, sparkling dust at a dark oval mirror held up by a floor stand between his chair and the fireplace. The mirror was placed so as to take advantage of the hearth, which was amply wide, paved in semi-rough stones, 
and made a good overspill spot to receive things like dust tossed at a magic mirror. For all its ornate age and warmth, the study was well-ordered and clean, especially for Middle Earth. The dust ignited on the surface of the mirror and filled the air before the mirror with a cloud of shifting patterns and faint blushes of color. She wondered if the color came from the smoke itself or was reflected from the room. It smelled wonderful, sharp and aromatic, subtly floral and mysterious. It evoked memories of those long-ago Babylonian nights when she and Aaron had last known each other in incarnate form. As the fragrance took her, she found herself drifting in a world of vague memory, swelled by feelings of euphoria that soon became worry, gripping her stomach and twisting her spine. Aaron looked sharply at her, reading the play of emotions with a practiced eye. Why do I always get so anxious, she asked, and then answered her own question, because this too was a nervous habit. It's probably just because I have actual cause for anxiety. Not enough work, money running out, long road before I can expect results. Her voice trailed off as she stared into the mirror. She couldn't see her face in it, but neither could she see much except a dimness. It was dark, but not black, a variable dark navy color with maybe a little lighter area in the upper right corner. Keep looking, he said. As she watched, the vague darkness in the mirror swirled together and opened in the center to reveal a brilliant light, though it was not a celestial light. It was the warm and brilliant luminosity of a clear sunrise sun shining through a narrow window. It was beautiful, golden and white and scintillating in that way that only sunrises and sunsets are. Low angle sunlight, she said. I love it. And I love that I now have a scientific explanation for what's different about it, courtesy Andrew Huberman, as well as data about its concrete benefits. The light continued to flow into her mind through the lens of her eyes, vibrating as beauty and nature in eternity in a timeless flow. I also love that my certainty about the mental health benefits of all those gorgeous Hawaiian sunrises and sunsets is now validated by science. I mean, Andrew Huberman didn't study amazing sunsets specifically and definitely didn't mention Hawaiian sunsets. But it all falls under the umbrella of their research. You know, since they found that any old morning and evening sun, even when filtered through clouds, is good or beneficial. She grinned. Her mind-blown ecstasy at some of the Hawaiian sunsets she'd seen in her earlier life came back so readily. Seen so glorious, she remembered them to this day with no idea how one could ever render them in art. How, for example, do you paint cloud puffs gilded on their undersides in glowing gold so that they look like a massive, brilliant shoal of golden fish, or like the scales of one great fish, its body spread end to end across a vivid, 
salmon, and lavender sky. Her eyes glowed with the light in the mirror and with the memory of that past light. She still remembered the street where she'd been walking on her way to work more than 30 years ago in college. She remembered thinking, this has to be good for the mind, seeing beauty like this, flooding your eyes with this kind of light and color. And so do you see how might the rationalist adventure lead unto humanity's religious impulses, its mystical insights, and its imaginal visions, Aaron asked. Yes, she said, her eyes glowing. He was closing the loop on an intellectual, erudite, in the extreme conversation she listened to yesterday. Richard Tarnas and Matthew D. Siegel journeying within a cosmic journey on the Conversations in Process podcast, which had included discussions about the 500-year foray humanity has made into a rationalist, disenchanted worldview since the scientific revolution starting in the 16th century. So, Aaron said, how can we help now? He smiled almost primly down into his hands and then looked back at her more intently waiting for her to begin. Well, I'm working on my website, she said, and thinking about this phase of my development, also chewing on money, as always. I guess I'd like some help in thinking about the website and about my work. I had a million ideas churning about both, but now that I've got some time to sit down and work on it, I'm feeling a little stuck. I was thinking that the website is entering a new phase, but that it might be transitional and lead somewhere as yet to be revealed. Then her guilt popped because of something she'd read yesterday in the record of their conversations, something she'd completely forgotten about. She brought it up now, pushing past her apologies in her rush to get it out. So I was remembering your instructions to create a website. I guess our last conversation about that was in February. You said that the timeline had been moved up and that I should make my website my main central focus, you know, for creative output, for making money, for connecting with people, you know, for everything. And that the website needed a redesign for that so that it could serve as that, which by the way, I completely bailed on. Sorry about that. She chewed her lip and frowned. I hope it hasn't made things harder for you. (laughs) She cringed. I'm just wondering how to play catch up. Karen tucked her leg up under herself as she adjusted her seat on the small, come to think of it, rather hard velvet couch she was sitting on. Glancing down, she noticed that the sunlight slanting in from the front window and the sunnier west end of the garden was shining off the far shoulder of the couch. This was surely to blame for the velvet's very faded appearance. Some of the deeper crevices were clearly blue or a deep blue-gray, but the top sides were pale, almost to the point of glinting white amidst an expanse of icy blue-gray over most of the couch. She ran her hand across the surface of the seat beside her to see if she could stir up a deeper color in the velvet. Failing to find much of interest in the way of patterns under her fingers, something new occurred to her. She looked up and went on. 
Actually, I remember why I didn't do it. I think it related to that wall I hit when we were doing, you know, when all that stuff was happening and you said that. I was excited initially, but then I got overwhelmed and panicked. I remember coming to the conclusion and that I felt pretty certain about my conclusion that using a Seth Godin approach had been effective, but wrong for me. Oh yeah, we processed that together. I decided that I needed to continue to follow the song of my heart and the life that was flowing through my front door. It was the whole Jesus advice to focus on what is right in front of me. And so actually the period of doing a little more free, the podcast, was me stepping out in faith into that river, which was why I was so depressed when it blew up. She blew the hair off her forehead with a sharp exhale and sighed. But now it's dropped me right back where I started, she said, brightening suddenly with some major upgrades, both in terms of skills, but also in terms of a whole mental arc that can now make better sense of, in the sense that it can more deeply metabolize, Becca Tarnas's offering as well as, of course, the major upgrade that is her offering itself, which has been very helpful, which is that to work with the imaginal, which is where you and I work, is to work with truth. We who work with the imaginal do shape it as a creative act, what Tolkien calls the sub-creative act, but we also interact with it and are acted upon by it. Because working with the imaginal has nothing to do with make-believe. Karen went on, I've seen your and my imaginal interaction because you called it that years ago. Well, you said we meet in the imaginal, not in the astral. And that in order to meet in the imaginal, you, Aaron, have to have a foothold in the astral. You compared it to having an office in Times Square, and you eased my fears about that. (laughs) She flashed him a look and saw a wry crinkle at the corners of his eyes. But his eyes were hooded as he watched her. She had grown very suspicious of the astral plane in recent years, which was the source of her unease about that bit of their arrangement. I've been seeing this way we communicate as a downgrade, kind of, you know, since we used to talk with a lot more directness. I mean, there was the long period when I was learning to trust you, all the yes-no guidance about everything and how awesomely reliable your counsel was. And then the writing of the memoir, which somehow was you, even though Sir Francis Bacon appeared to me before I began writing and confirmed he would be helping me to write my memoir. She glanced up at him, the question in her eyes. That true, she asked. He nodded and bent his head thoughtfully. She could see he was thinking his own thoughts, though still closely following their conversation. Anyway, that period of being inspired by the muse while writing the memoir was so extraordinary and intense and revelatory and constant. Now it's much quieter and different. And there have been long stretches when it hasn't worked at all and I've actually stopped trying for long periods. Plus the long years when you wouldn't answer me. She gave him a sidelong look. 
That period had lasted a very long time and had at times felt very lonely. She held his eye and finally nodded to acknowledge that, yes, we had that time. It happened during a very dark period in my life, but I know it wasn't a punishment or cruelty, and I see it as a necessary time that helped me to grow. She went on, I think I should also say for the record that I think of what we do as something other than automatic writing or visionary revelation or channeling. She watched him as she proposed this, and when he nodded quietly, she went on. Now with Becca Tarnas's offerings on the imaginal, which she builds on the shoulders of both Tolkien's and Jung's work, I suddenly feel like this method of ours is not only legitimate, but that I understand how to access it more reliably. What that means is when I get stuck, I need to think like an author, not a medium or a teacher or a psychic. I need to more fully enter the writing of a fictional work that is ensouled, illuminated by the numinous of Numenor. I need to lean into the creative in order to enter more deeply and fruitfully into the world of soul, into the soul of the world, to make love, play, create with the anima mundi. She looked up at him and grinned suddenly, lit with joy. He was smiling back at her and she saw the insides of things as they resonated with that shared love, joy, and purpose as their very beings sang with it all the way down to the purple fluorite crystal glowing in front of her. An update from just after midnight, New Year's Eve. Sirius blew my mind this year, shining bright like a diamond in the sky at midnight. Yes, Katy Perry got there first. More soon on that, and on Jade Wau Gregori, the Mongolian-American shaman who taught me about the underworld, which may or may not be the same as the imaginal realm. There are links in the show notes to Becca Tarnas's three interviews on the Rune Soup podcast starting in 2016. I have links in the show notes and in the post at katiemorikawa.com, a New Year's vision as well as you can just Google her. She's got a website, beccatarnas.com. She's been busy. Um, She has a book out called Journey to the Imaginal Realm, a reader's guide to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings on Amazon. And I haven't read it yet, but I plan to begin a reread of The Lord of the Rings. This will be the first time since maybe the 90s At last count, I'd read Lord of the Rings 16 times, but I stopped reading fantasy in the late 90s and only returned to it in the last few years. So I'm looking forward to the adventure and my next post is about the fantasy and science fiction that I discovered in the past couple of years when I returned to it and which really kept me company during the pandemic. And it was really nice to have that. So thank you for listening and tune in next time.